0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself, Leo Flowers. Uh, uh, we have an amazing, amazing episode uh, today with Haley Kennedy of Shop Sunday. Uh, you can find her on Instagram. It, it's, she shares her story about how she attempted suicide and how uh, she went into treatment. She admitted herself after and what she learned uh about uh being in the uh and in, uh, in a mental health facility for a month uh, the kind of behavioral therapy and uh and how her medication affected that and the importance of accepting help from others uh we talk about uh journaling i learned some things about journaling from haley that i i did i didn't know before we are going to talk about how Journaling can uh, be used, uh, how to use it for creative means, and then how to use it for emotional means, uh, and also accepting the fact that you're going to mess up. We talk about uh, that, and then she mentions a few apps that she uses to uh, help her meditate and also uh, ground herself, and then uh, we get into how to set boundaries, that which is so challenging right to set boundaries in in your relationships to set boundaries with yourself to set financial boundaries and we talk about also the difference between depression and anxiety and how uh, anxiety can become depression and and, and what leads to that uh, we get into uh, Jesus everything uh, yeah why the importance of taking care of yourself first, which we've said before. Um, uh, and we get into misconceptions of being admitted into the psych ward and and a, a bunch of other stuff and how to parent yourself. That was such a big thing. That's one thing that's been so challenging for me is how to parent my myself and uh, I'm sure a lot of us. Uh. But before we get into that, um, also, oh, she talks about one of her favorite books, books. Uh, That has made the most impact on her. It's a book that she read during her one month stay in the uh, psych ward. And we'll talk about that in the episode. But I want to share with you some quick news because, you know, a a part of uh, why so many of us struggle is that we feel like we are alone in our struggle. And, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, he just passed three suicide prevention bills in California. And this is huge because one, it's a, it's a validation of how big the problem is that he passed three bills to address suicide prevention. And two, it's, even though it's in California, it lets us know that the politicians the the people that we've elected, the people and I are taking this seriously and they and even though it looks like they're divided and not doing anything and sitting on their hands, they really are trying to push progressive measures through and having these hard conversations. So I just want to share with you the bills that have been passed so that maybe uh wherever you are, I have I have listeners throughout the the world and Most recently, I see we have some Indonesian uh, listeners. Shout out to Indonesia. Uh, But maybe then it becomes something that uh, you can lobby for in your uh, city, state, or country. Uh, The first bill is called um, uh, AB 2246, approved in... Uh, which requires school districts to have a suicide prevention policy that addresses the needs of their highest risk students in seventh through twelfth grades. Um, And then there's AB 2639 that required districts to update those policies every five years. Um, And the new bill requires districts serving kindergarten through sixth grades to create suicide prevention policies. Right. So that's really dope. Um, and then there's AB 34, uh, ta- t- uh, t- the, uh, it tackles bullying, AB 34. It requires school districts to post bullying prevention policies online as well as information about cyberbullying. And uh, Newsom signed that in effect uh, September uh, 12th. And then the last one, AB 984, uh, allows taxpayers to send their excess tax payments to a new suicide prevention voluntary contribution fund. The fund would award grants and help fund crisis centers that are active members of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So once again, I'm just I'm mentioning this to let you know that you're not alone, that people are taking steps to address suicide prevention and, and um, and so I hope that you're you're journaling, you're exercising, you're reading, you're meditating, you're doing your self talk. I just got off a, a two week cruise, which uh, those five things kept me saying I was I was doing shows uh, on a cruise line for two weeks, and when you're in that tiny cabin, uh, it you know you you could really get in your head. There's not enough food or anything to uh, keep you sane on there so i really had to to become introspective and dig deep and uh and and i journaled so much and read so many books because there was no internet which i you know i slept a lot better also uh i really got the internet's really the as soon as i came home i fell right back into my old habits of you know scrolling through feeds and being on ig and 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 then it creates this anxiety and then at least the eating and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, but it really refueled my love of reading and, and having a book in my hand and, and reinforced the importance of that. So I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing great. Let's get into this episode with Haley Kennedy from Shop Sunday, which you can find her on Instagram. I'm going to link all the stuff that we talk about in this episode. Let's get to it. Boom. <laughs> Yes. Um, Haley, uh, please introduce yourself to the listeners out there because I, I I know you're a huge mental health advocate, but, uh, but but you know give us a little bit about you.
1: Okay, um, my name is Haley Kennedy. I'm 23. I was born in Calgary, Alberta, but I'm currently living in British Columbia, which is kind of Western Canada. Yeah. And I am a freelance digital illustrator and a mental health advocate.
0: Now, right, what got you into uh, mental health? Why, why a mental health advocate?
1: So, I myself have um, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And I've had it pretty much my whole life, but I was diagnosed when I was around 14 years old. So, it's something I kind of grew up um, dealing with and learning how to deal with properly. And so, that just kind of, it, when I, first started creating art pieces kind of surrounding mental health and self care. It was kind of a coping mechanism for myself and kind of used it as a tool for my own recovery and my own healing process. But along the way, it also kind of became a tool for other people and I found that it also helped them. So kind of the thing talking about things like uh, mental health and suicide and all that stuff, um, it makes it easier for everyone else to talk about it as well. Like just starting that conversation and letting other people know that they're not alone in what
0: they're dealing with. Isn't it's it's so fascinating how many people feel like uh, they are alone mm-hmm. in the mental health struggle. When you know so many so so many celebrities have talked about their mental health struggle. We've lost many celebrities to oh, wow. uh, a, a lot of mental health issues, and uh, but still, we we all in our you know, we get in our heads about it and think I'm the only one that can understand what I'm going through. And, yeah,
1: it's a, it's a you know. funny thing how, I mean, especially depression can kind of put you into that space where you just feel so closed off from everything else. Yes. And it can, it can make you feel like you're totally alone, even if, even if you have a support system around you. you. That's just part of the illness, unfortunately. But again, I feel like, and I feel like the big part of my artwork lately has been just kind of opening up that conversation, kind of in an approachable way. I know some people are still a little bit uncomfortable talking about things like that, but I feel like as a society, we are getting better at talking about these things. And I feel like the more we do it, the easier it's gonna get.
0: You're right. I I was just talking to a friend of mine um, here in California, and and I'm sure it's something that will start to spread throughout the country. uh, the middle I think it's middle school I don't know if it's high school yet but um I actually is she in high school it might be high school but on the back of their ID now
2: yeah. uh, they have the
0: number to the suicide hotlines okay. and it's mandated
2: yeah.
0: by the state that every uh student ID at least I think for high school uh, it's on the back of their ID now So, you're right, the conversation is getting easier and easier, and and more and more people are talking about it.
1: And I mean, with even having that number on there, it opens up, it kind of increases the accessibility for people to find help if they feel they need it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, because some people don't even know there's a a 1 800 suicide number. They they don't know that there's someone that they can talk to 24 7. They don't know that uh, there are people who are trained and qualified and uh, will actually listen yeah. to their and story. I- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you called the number before?
1: I haven't right. called the number, but I've, I've used a text, like a texting kind of hotline number.
0: Okay.
1: Actually last year a couple of times. So um last year around this time, actually tomorrow will be year to the day. Um, I actually attempted suicide. And since then it's been, kind of a full recovery process, but having those tools on hand, I think saved my life in a way because it was a kind of a last minute thing to kind of reach out um, around that really difficult time. And just having something there was extremely helpful to kind of pull me out of that place.
0: Yeah, what, what was your, your, your first step out of that? Does that um, your question make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean like first step kind of mentally or like,
0: whatever it was like you know you you have the attempt yeah. and then you there's this moment where and and I I wonder, first of all I think is 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 powerful to note that you know statistics will show that people who attempt as soon as they're like especially for people who jump like yeah. before they hit the ground they go Oh crap, I, I really don't want to do this uh, and it's, it's too late now. Yeah. Um, and and you know and so if they jump in and they still live, they don't like crawl back up and then try to jump again. It's like, oh my god, I'm alive. Let me figure this out. Yeah. And so how did what was your like that moment where you realized like, oh, I'm gonna live. Yeah. Like so, you know, did you did you call the number immediately? Like what was your
1: So, my my boyfriend was actually home at the time and kind of immediately after that had taken place, I just kind of had a kind of a flash realization that, you know what? Like I can't it's not going to end here. Like mm-hmm. I have so much more to do and it kind of like leading up to that point everything was just so dark and so closed in and that's kind of the only place where my mind was sitting so that was kind of I was just in that space so when it actually happened it was almost kind of like I woke up and was like hold on like I can't like this isn't the right thing to do so i had actually gone to him and he had driven me to the hospital and I made the decision then to Um, admit myself for inpatient treatment, which was a huge step. And it was very scary at the time, but looking back on it, it was one of the best things I've ever done for myself.
0: Wow. That had to be scary. Right. Right. To admit yourself. (laughs) Can you talk, can you talk about why that was scary? Because you know, it's, it's, it's not, like, if you if you cut yourself or break your leg, it's not scary to go to the hospital. Like, no. you're like, oh, my God, get me to the hospital. please. No. yeah. But in this situation, what, 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 what can you t- take us through those thoughts?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, in this situation, I was in a very vulnerable place. So, I mean, going to a big hospital full of people that I don't know, it's an unfamiliar environment, that was scary on its own. Um, admitting that hey, I can't do this on my own I need help Mm. can also be a very scary thing. And then the idea of admitting myself into the inpatient program, meaning I'm not able to go home. I'm not able to kind of, it's a new environment that I'm going to have to get used to for a while. Mm -hmm. So that in itself was scary. And also, I mean...
0: Like where can I charge my iPhone? Like...
1: (laughs) We have systems in place, but it's, I mean, it took a while to get used to for sure. And I feel like even myself kind of having experience with mental illness, I still had kind of those misconceptions, um, about kind of psych units and inpatient treatments and that whole, um, I know in a lot of movies and TV shows, it's kind of displayed as like, Oh, just like the nut House, the crazy people, like uh-huh. it's Often seen as a very sterile environment, and everyone's medicated, and you perceive it a different way. But actually, being in an inpatient unit with other people that are experiencing the same things is was really, really eye-opening and totally different than what I expected.
0: So, uh, different in what way? Uh, you know, Gary Goldman has a new HBO special. Um, I don't know. you know who he is? No,
2: I'm not. So uh, sure.
0: Gary Goldman. He he's a comedian and uh, very successful. Yeah. But uh struggled with depression so much so that he he stopped doing stand-up and uh, was like started working as like a youth counselor. Okay. Uh, but, but now has come back and he just released a HBO comedy special yeah. called The Great Depression. And in that special he talks about admitting himself to the psych ward and how it wasn't how it's been depicted in mm-hmm. TV and movies. Uh can you can you talk to us about what your expectations were, like what you've seen, and then what it actually was.
1: I mean, from what I've seen and what I've heard. I mean, you think of one movie that comes to mind is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, so you know it's very. You think of these, all these people running around; and it's crazy, and there's those yeah. and everyone lines up, and they're doling out the medications, and it's just you just have this idea in your head. But going in there, obviously, it is still a hospital setting, but it's a lot more comfortable. I mean, there is definitely structure to it, but Mm -hmm. even just getting to know the people that I was in there with. I was in inpatient there for almost a month.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: um you meet with psychiatrists daily, you kind of get on your medication regimen if that's kind of part of your treatment plan. Um, the meals are kind of scheduled, but I feel like the biggest difference for me were just getting to know the people that I was hanging around with every day, because once you get to know them, Everybody has their own story. There Mm -hmm. was people from all different walks of life that all kind of have the same goal in mind. We're all just trying to get better. And it's, it definitely kind of took away from the kind of scary depiction of psych words that are often portrayed.
0: Yeah. It's not like people running around banging their heads against the wall.
1: No one's one's in straitjackets. Yeah. Like you go in, you go in there and like everyone's in their slippers and Pajamas and grabbing snacks from the fridge and playing um, cribbage at the table. And yeah. you know, it's just, it's a lot more, they try to make it as um, As comforting as possible, as close to home as possible.
0: Let's talk about what's really important. Mm-hmm. How is the food?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hospital food? Not great. Not
1: great. But I mean they do what they can. I mean, you get you get your three square meals a day, you get your snacks. Um, definitely not my favorite food. <laughs> I and mean, we give it like a five out of ten on the rating scale, but but it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. What, what
0: was the what was the first thing you're like as soon as I get out of here? What was the what was the thing you're like, I'm gonna go eat? What? First thing to eat? <laughs> yeah, what were you looking
2: for? Maybe like fresh
1: vegetables
0: wow
1: fresh fruit
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah because they give you like the little dannon cups those little fruit do,
1: cups. and the, like the, everything's kind of served on trays and it has your little name on it mm, mm. and i think the funniest thing to me was like there's kind of always people coming in and out there's a very limited amount of beds in the unit that i was on so yeah Whenever someone was discharged, there would be a new person coming in right away. There was always kind of like a waiting list. So it was yeah. like, oh, that person's new. But once you've been there for a couple of weeks, you kind of know the schedule of, like, say, the dinners every night. Okay. So they would serve kind of like a, like a meat and potatoes kind of thing. And then you, know, you knew the next night was going to be like a shepherd's pie, but they would just take leftover potatoes and put it on top. Of the meat and it was like oh I bet you tomorrow that's what it's gonna be and it was kind of like you get into that routine but
0: (laughs) (laughs) what you (laughs) talked about um um meds yes um so did the meds that they give you then was that different than what you were taking were you taking meds before you went in I was okay and did they change that at all they did absolutely
2: so
1: before I was admitted um before the attempt, I was actually started on a completely different medication that I' had never been on before. Um, so I had been on on and off Prozac since I was about fourteen years old, so that was so like six, seven, eight years and then I just found it wasn't working as well anymore, so I'd gone off it for a while and then when I was when things started to kind of slip in like the middle of last year, I was put on a new medication and The doctor that prescribing the medication had let me know that there might be some side effects. Usually with antidepressants, you feel a little bit worse before you start to feel better. So I had initially thought that that was kind of what it was. So I'd gone back to the doctor and kind of explained the situation. And instead of taking me off of those, she bumped up the dose. And I feel like almost that switch in medication contributed to the increase in suicidal thoughts and the increase in the suicidal ideation. So as soon as I was admitted to the hospital, they took me off of those right away and said, you shouldn't be still on these. So it was kind of like a gap in kind of communication between the doctor that I was seeing at the time. Um, And I think it probably had a lot to do with kind of what happened.
0: Um, what were the meds that uh, she's because you were said you take you were taking Prozac for yeah. years, and then what did she switch you to and bump up? So
1: at the time, um, I was actually I was put on Zoloft for a while. Oh, it's a while. Mm-hmm. So a while. So it was it was for like it was a few months. Okay. In.
2: Uh uh-huh.
1: And so once I was admitted to hospital, I was completely taken off the Zoloft, and then they put me actually put me back on the Prozac. bring it back
0: up so it's 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 so do you feel like zoloft uh was the issue or just a switching of the meds you know because i i've heard that a lot where when people either completely stop taking their meds Mm
2: -hmm. or they
0: change their meds that's when it becomes most dangerous yeah. For a lot of people. I mean,
2: I had, I had
1: been off of, prior to starting on Zoloft, I had been off of the Prozac for about six months.
2: Okay. So,
1: I, f- I feel like, I mean, I feel like I was already kind of starting to dip a bit before I even started on the Zoloft, and I feel like going on the new medication and then bumping up the dose kind of amplified those feelings. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Why were you off for six months, the Zoloft?
1: I was no, I was off of off of the Prozac for Oh,
0: Prozac. Why were you off for Prozac for six months?
1: Just because, like, I would, was kind of working with my doctor at the time before we actually moved to Kelowna,
2: uh-huh.
1: and we kind of decided, okay, we're going to try kind of going off of them, uh-huh. and it was just kind of a kind of a trial thing just to see
0: kind Got of you. what would work. And what did you what did you learn in a psych ward? Because I, I imagine. You know, like you said, everything's very regimented. They, and they got you back on the, um, the, uh, the Prozac. Uh, and then you have to go to therapy, right? Now, is there individual and group therapy? Both. There's both, right?
1: When you're in inpatient care, you are partnered up with your own psychiatrist. So there's a team of psychiatrists on the unit that are um, assigned to several different patients. So you have a one-on-one visit every single morning. Um, which was super, super helpful and they can kind of adjust. They can kind of check in with you as regards to medication. Um, also do kind of some therapy. Uh, we did a lot of CBT, um, which was so cognitive, helpful.
0: cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. Okay.
1: And super, super helpful. And then they also have, um, group therapy. They have art classes. They have, um, I mean, it varies from unit to unit, but this unit had, they had little cooking workshops. They had little exercise, fitness classes. They have kind of daily walks. So they have little activities that kind of get people engaged, Wow! um, which was fantastic.
0: So what, what did you take away from the individual?
1: From the individual, just, I mean, just kind of accepting my, accepting the help, if that makes sense. I find before I went in, I would say I'm kind of a stubborn person as far as mm-hmm. accepting help from others. I kind of want to be able to do things on my own and I don't need other people's help and but just really finding that place to kind of admit to myself that you know like I, I need the help at this point. So accepting that help, learning a lot about myself from kind of like an outside point of view, like speaking with my um, psychiatrist and my therapist to kind of resolve those issues that I was having internally. I mean, we discussed absolutely everything from family to home life to like my hobbies and aspirations and everything, and just kind of getting to the root and also developing strategies and coping techniques that I can take. I mean, the whole process of treatment in an inpatient center is preparing you for the outside world, preparing you to go back out and thrive. And manage your
0: illness. Um, all right. Well, w- quick note: when you see me looking down, it's because I'm writing. So okay, I, yeah. uh, I don't want you to think I'm. I t- hate when I'm talking <laughs> to somebody and like you're texting or doing something else. That's
2: okay. Um,
0: the um, when you t- what was I? Where's my brain going? Uh, group, individual, except uh, was there was there an insight from your? childhood that was brought up that you didn't realize, meaning like, you know, a lot of times we go through our life, Mm uh, interpreting events one way. Right. And then as we get older and we talk to people or we talk to those people who are involved or whatever, we go, Oh my God, I can't believe that that's what was going on. Yeah. Was, did, was there any of those revelations in individual or group that you, you feel comfortable sharing? Where you are like, oh my God, this whole time I was thinking.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, kind of looking back on growing up, kind of my personality, how I interact with people. Um, again, kind of putting up that defensive wall of like, I, I want to be independent. I want to be able to handle things on my own and not being as open about my feelings as I should have um on one side it was kind of like a I didn't want to worry anyone I didn't want to so a way I was trying to protect other people but I was it was kind of damaging to myself
0: you didn't want to be a burden you didn't want to feel like a burden to others
1: that was a big thing and I mean I it's almost like I cared about other people's feelings and other people's interpretations of me more than I did of myself if that makes sense like I put all my energy out to other people yeah but Left no time or energy for my own well being. Mm. So it's just kind of a matter of kind of bringing that perspective a little more inwards. Yeah, and then thinking about me first
0: before others. I'm sure your bro- your boyfriend loves that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you should you should cook for me first. Now you're thinking about yourself. I don't know about this therapy. <laughs> do, do you have siblings?
1: I have two sisters, actually.
0: oh my so where do you fall in the age? Uh,
1: I actually have a twin sister
0: okay, wow And
1: a younger sister who's two years younger.
0: Wow mm-hmm. and uh and then your your parents are together or okay, and so where did that where did that come from then uh was there was there a financial hardship or why why did you feel like you have to be so protective and and put others first?
1: I don't, I feel like it's just kind of a caring, a caring nature. I mean, but I think I maybe took it a little too far. I mean, ever since I was young, I was always kind of people would always say, Oh, you're so mature for your age. Even when I was like seven, eight years old, I was always very mature, very smart. And so it might've been a little bit of kind of that pressure to,
0: to live up to that image. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think it kind of stemmed from there. I mean, home life was excellent like my my parents my sisters a very loving family very supportive parents but i think it was just kind of my own internal hesitance to ever say that something was wrong because i didn't want to disappoint people
0: wow
1: yeah
0: that is you know i i struggle with that too mm-hmm. i i kind of grew up with the same kind of uh um you're so mature. You have an old soul. Yeah. Uh, There's a young man. He's he's growing up so fast. He's so smart. Uh, you know, my mom was always um, comparing uh, me and my sister in terms of saying, why can't you be like your brother kind of thing? So I always felt this need to uh, uh, maintain a certain image, yeah. um, that kind of thing. And, yeah, so you do and start to internalize these different Uh, voices and then you kind of uh, don't take time to figure out who you are and what you really want and what really motivates you uh, to keep you going. Right. So, um, but you did talk about how cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. was so helpful and and also you said coping strategies and and techniques. Can you share lessons learned from cognitive... Can you talk about what that is first for the... Because a lot of people don't know what CBT is. And then you can go into other.
1: I was so excited about it once I had my first session because I was like, okay, this actually clicks and it's actually working for me. Um, So CBT is kind of a process of analyzing your thought patterns um, and you're identifying things like cognitive distortions. So if you're having like intrusive negative thoughts or kind of reoccurring thought patterns and it's just kind of taking those down and looking at them in a more analytic way so one of my favorite things that i still do um, is journaling and so say i get a negative thought that pops into my head like i'm going say i'm going to this interview (laughs) for a lovely podcast and a thought pops into my head saying oh you're gonna Like you're not good enough for this or you're gonna mess up. Or it's taking that thought, putting it down on paper and looking at it as why do I feel this way? And what are the truths that I can put against that thought? So if I'm thinking from like a relationship standpoint, if I get an intrusive thought saying, oh, my friends don't really care about me. I can put that thought down and say, you know what? that's not true at all because my friend called me this morning Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I'm going for coffee with another friend tomorrow. So they obviously care. So it's almost a way of counteracting those irrational thoughts and kind of makes you look at it in a different way instead of absorbing yourself into kind of that negative mindset.
0: Now it, it completely makes sense. Is is it's, uh, I have a podcast titled uh, "Interrogate Your Feelings"
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because a lot of times you know our thoughts and feelings uh, aren't valid and are, are based on um, you know stuff that's happened, obviously past experiences, uh, what other people think and, and believe, or society's expectations and. It's like, hold on, that that's not, it's not, you know, that black or white thinking is what happens, right? When we um, get into that fight or flight mode.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, and so, yeah, you have to get in there and be like, is this true? And, oh, that's not true. And and so that you can reclaim your own power. Journaling is so powerful. Uh, and uh, even... And I think a lot of people, I remember like when I was in high school, I didn't journal, you know, my, my professors, I had an English professor was like, you got a journal and turn it in every week or, and I hated it. And I was like, because to me, a journal was all about writing down your emotions. And I was like, I don't know how I feel. I'm a, I'm a 14 year old boy, you know, it's so ridiculous. But, you know, I, now I use journaling to just write anything. It, it doesn't have to be emotional. It doesn't have to be thoughtful. I'm not. You know, I'm not Thomas Jefferson where, you know, because ink and paper was so limited and valuable, like I had to really think about every word. It was like, I'm just, I'm just writing down gibberish
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: half the time, just getting stuff out of my head and onto the paper. So, yeah, you know, because, because you realize even in journaling, you bring that perfectionism to it. Like, I don't want to mess up my journal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's (laughs) It's so ridiculous. It's like, this is the one place where you should just be able to dump and vent and... It
1: helps so much too when you can, when you can come back and if, say if I'm having an episode or I'm feeling really anxious, I can go back to the journal and say, okay, I had this thought before and you can go back and review and kind of see, okay, what are the reoccurring patterns? Yeah. What did I do last time yeah. to help me feel better? What can I use to kind of mend that and it's it's such a useful tool to have on hand so i i carry my little book with me around
0: yeah i even yeah because uh what i'll do is i'll write down what i did um whether um i binge ate or just laid around all day and was kind of lazy or cried or got angry whatever i did and then later on i'll come back and then write what i what i really wanted Like what did I really need in that moment? It's like you didn't really want a whole bag of Oreos. What is it that you really and 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 so like where before I used to judge what I did. I used to be like, why did you do that? That was so. Now I'm like, here's what you really needed, and here's what you could do next time. And so then over time you start to rewire and reprogram yourself uh, versus judging yourself, which you know I love doing. It's kind of fun to judge other people but it's not so much fun when you do it to so uh so besides the journaling what what are the what are your other uh coping mechanisms oh well, you know what and, and before you answer that are do you have other do you have journaling techniques or strat or do you like journal first thing in the morning at night is there Do you have little things that
1: i find i mean i find either first thing when i wake up or right before i go to bed kind of mm-hmm the best times for me usually right before bed is kind of a good time for me to do it just because I can kind of like unload all my thoughts from the day gotcha. and it kind of clears my head and then I can I usually sleep better um so for some people that works from a creative standpoint I also sometimes journal first thing in the morning if I kind of wake up and I have an idea for something I'll journal that down so a little bit of both but usually either first thing in the morning or like last thing before
0: bed i like the idea of that like it's you know from a creative standpoint first thing in the morning but from an emotional mental mm-hmm. last thing at night that's that's interesting
2: yeah
0: um and so then what else are you um what, what other coping strategies did you do you have
1: um i find meditation actually pretty helpful
0: okay
1: um so i actually use an app that i actually i actually started using it when i first went into the hospital i'm still using it today It's an app called Simple Habit, Uh and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, It is a collection of guided meditations. So you can basically go on this app. You can say, okay, I have five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long you have, what you're doing at the moment. So you can pick one if you're commuting to work, if you're going for a walk, if it's like SOS, I need to calm down right now. And it gives you so many different options for so many different scenarios and you just pop your headphones in, listen to it, and it just makes you feel so much better.
0: Let me ask you this, because I I use an app also called Insight Timer. Mm -hmm. And and it's great that they have all these options, but I find that sometimes that creates anxiety. of Like, which one do I want? This (laughs) 10-minute one, this silent, or do I want a 10-minute
2: guided? Oh, my God!
0: so that i just end up using just the timer i'm like yeah. i don't know i'm just gonna set it for 10 minutes and see what happens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i mean and it's, different. it's different for everyone like some people is, love yeah. the silence um and sometimes i still do sometimes i just meditate without any distractions i'll just set like a 10 minute timer on my phone and set it aside mm-hmm. and just kind of focus on my breath and that'll help but i find the for me like the guided meditations if i'm Kind of if I had a stressful day at work or I'm kind of winding down before bed, sometimes those guided ones can just kind of help you get into that relaxed space a little bit easier.
0: You know, and that's a great point, too, that uh, I find that. If I'm calm and I go into meditation, Mm -hmm. I don't need a guided meditation, but if I'm kind of anxious, uh, stressed, long day, exhausted, then it, it's beneficial. That's, you know, I never thought about it like that until you just said that. That's, uh, that's interesting because I meditate also. Um, and so use a simple habit and you, you journal. And then, but, uh, and then what else? Uh, going back to that cognitive behavioral. So they're talking about like challenging your thoughts. Is there anything else from the CBT that uh, you, you've incorporated or learned?
1: I mean that would like journaling was probably the biggest thing that I did take from it. Okay. Um, But also just being kind of aware of my emotions,
2: okay.
1: Being with myself throughout the day. I mean, especially with anxiety, it can be hard to kind of sit down and say, "Okay, how am I feeling right now?" Sometimes the whole day can just blur together, and it's just one big crazy anxious mess. And it's it's hard to kind of sit with yourself and check in and just be okay how am i feeling right now do i need anything right now you almost have to kind of parent yourself in a way like do you need a glass of water you know so just kind of mindfulness and that kind of self-awareness and it takes a lot of time it was really hard for me to kind of get the hang of um but once i did i found it to be super helpful because i could identify okay you know what i like, I just need to sit down for a few minutes and like maybe I'll do a little meditation. Maybe I'll go for a walk right now. Like kind of knowing what I need in that moment.
0: Yeah.
1: that help if I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed.
0: Um, what do you do for work?
1: So I do most of the illustration.
0: Right, right.
1: So I do a lot of freelance work. Um, obviously, all my personal work and selling prints and stuff like that. And then I do work uh, part-time at a cafe.
0: Love it. Uh, yeah, I love your your Instagram, shop Sunday, Sunday spelled S-U-N-D-A-E. Um, and, uh, you know, and some of the, the quotes that you've posted are like, take what you need today. I really love that one because um, there are so many, there's so many times like where you need something, you don't know what it is. Like you said, you don't know if you, it's like, do I, I feel off right now. Do I need a hug? Do I need motivation? Yeah. Do I need me time? Do uh, I need laughter, fun? You know, I, for, to me, that's one of the things that um, I, I realized like, these past couple of days, I was like, I feel really overwhelmed and I realized I've, I've done everything except have fun.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I haven't just, you know, or just allowed for breathing room, you know, for, for uh, activities in my life. It's like, like you said, we schedule everything for everyone else and we don't schedule anything uh, for ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, the day builds up and then we're like, why am I so stressed? And it's yeah. like, you gonna, my, hang out with yourself for a little bit. <laughs>
1: one of my all time favorite quotes um, that I actually kind of use as kind of a guide through my recovery process was, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. So you can't help other people in the right way and support other people if you're not filling your own cup first, if you're not taking care of yourself
0: first. Absolutely. It's like that. It's like when you're on a plane, they say put the mask on yourself for first. Um, This other one you have, you, you talk about, I'm looking at your Instagram post and it says setting boundaries is self care. Setting boundaries is so hard.
2: It is so hard.
0: So have you learned, have you learned how to set boundaries uh, there in therapy or, uh, and if you have, in what ways have you, you know, what's a way that you had no boundaries and you're like, I'm putting my foot down.
1: So that was a really hard thing for me just because, I mean, with kind of my like caring, compassionate side growing up, even from a young age, I didn't want to disappoint people. So I kind of said yes to everything and Uh, made commitments that even if I didn't feel 100% about, I still wanted to do it because I know it would make someone else happy. Um, Even like going to events that maybe I wasn't too excited about, but I just wanted to go for the other person. So for me, it was a lot about kind of personal boundaries. So saying no to things that I don't feel comfortable with. Um, One big thing last year when I was actually in treatment, since it was around Christmas time, was actually making the decision not to go home to Calgary to visit my family for Christmas that year.
0: Wow, why did you make that decision?
1: Just because I felt like I needed that time. Like I was, I was um, discharged from the hospital about a week before Christmas. Uh-huh. So for me, it was a really hard decision to make because obviously my parents wanted me to come home, and it was kind right. of like, "Oh, you're gonna come home. It's gonna be yeah. great. You're gonna see all the family." But I just didn't feel ready at that point to. Yeah. Kind of see everyone. I kind of wanted that time to come home and recoup and kind of resettle in. So that was a big kind of boundary I had to set and sit my parents down over the phone and tell them, you know what, like I'm not like I want to be home, but just for my health and for my recovery, I'm not going to be home this year, but I will be home like a month later. So it was just kind of coming to that kind of agreement in a way, but that was a big thing
0: yeah you know a lot of us who you know grew up in in big families and friends we we you know the family always wants to be around and if you're more of a and i'm gonna assume you're probably more of an introvert also um you know and for introverts we recharge by being by ourselves or with books or you know a little in a little corner of a coffee shop or uh out in the woods you know uh things like that. And, and, you know, it's hard for our families to understand that, you know, they take it, um, they could, they could take it as like a rejection or something.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I mean, I didn't want to, didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I didn't want them to be disappointed that I wasn't coming home, but it was just a decision I knew I had to make for myself in order to not disrupt my recovery process.
0: Right. Right. And so, what's your meds now? Are you, uh, what are you taking right now?
1: Currently, I am still on the Prozac. Okay. I'm a different dosage than what I was pre, even before the Zoloft. So right now, I'm on forty milligrams of Prozac.
0: Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and you feel stable? Any any side effects? Any sleep disturbances? Any?
1: No, not really. Uh, I mean, I've never really had an issue as far as side effects okay. with Prozac specifically. Um, I mean, there's always that kind of adjustment period, but it was nice to be able to go through that period while I was still in the hospital under kind of like, um, supervision of my doctor.
2: Right.
1: Right. So that was really nice. But since I mean, no major issues, I mean, it's medication for me is only one part of the puzzle. Um, I find kind of like the self-care and mindfulness practices and CBT and all that stuff is another huge chunk. So kind of working on both of those things in tandem is what kind of pulls everything together and keeps me at like a good level.
0: And then you said you have a twin sister. I do. Is she, uh, she struggle with any of the same things also not to put her business out there, but. (laughs) um...
1: No, I'm, I mean, it runs more on my dad's side of the family. So my dad has depression as well. So it was just kind of me and him. And then, I mean, his side of the family, he has four sisters. So, I think all of them have depression. So it's a pretty prominent thing throughout my family, but neither of my sisters have much experience with it. So that was kind of tricky to kind of explain because it can be a hard thing to explain to someone that hasn't experienced it themselves.
0: Absolutely. You know, and, and, But you know, to me, that was one of the things that made me take my mental health more seriously is to realize, oh, not everybody feels like this. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but also to realize that I'm not the only one who feels like this. It's just that this isn't, this isn't typical. Yep. Um, and I, this is something I need to, I only really need to look at like I would um, any type of injury or uh, physical, physical pain versus I'll get over it, you yep. know, or uh, I'll you sleep it off or something like that. Get
2: yeah, on to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, was there, and uh, you know, and a, and a lot of mental healthers talk about how foods affect mood and behavior and things like that. Was there any of that discussed while you were uh, in treatment or been discussed with your therapist?
2: A little
1: bit. I mean they kind of take a look at kind of overall health. So like physical wellness. So your diet, your amount of exercise you're getting daily. And I mean, they're all kind of little pieces of the puzzle. They're all kind of contributors to overall health. So looking at diet is definitely a big thing. They said, I know a lot of kind of highly processed foods, a lot of sugar, a lot of salt can Mm -hmm. actually like accentuate symptoms of anxiety. Yeah. Um, So definitely kind of, Tweaking my diet to kind of more um, plant-based foods, keeping hydrated, kind of stuff like that, definitely helps in a lot of ways.
0: What, um, I I think I got got off track in terms of, we talked about boundaries a little bit, but Mm -hmm. so how has it changed the dynamic in your relationship now after treatment?
2: Um, That's a lot.
1: I mean, again, I was always kind of, I felt like I was putting all of my energy out towards the people in my life yeah. and kind of neglecting myself yeah. in a way, kind of emotionally. So I feel like having set those boundaries, things are a lot better because now, I mean, my boyfriend understands kind of what I'm dealing with and he's kind of more aware of kind of my own process. And if I need kind of time to myself, he respects that. Mm. And it's just kind of a good balance. And it's, it's kind of educational for him in a way too. Because obviously, it's especially with anxiety, I can, I can say, oh, I'm feeling anxious, but he might not know exactly what that means. But
2: Absolutely.
1: having those boundaries set in place where I'm explained to him straight up, like, if he's like, oh, let's go to a movie, and I'm just not really feeling like going out that night, if I say I don't feel like going to a movie, he understands that, okay, it's just, let's just stay home instead. Yeah. And there's that kind of, that's definitely increased communication.
0: Right.
1: Which, of course, I think communication is a huge piece of any relationship.
0: Yeah, because, you know, now you have tools of how to, like, m- be more specific in terms of how you feel, so then you can communicate with him. And I also wonder if it's a thing of where, um, you know, if he, if you two can't go to the movies, then he either goes by himself or he goes with his buddies or, mm-hmm. you know, so because I find that that's in a lot of relationships, like. It's like one person wants to see the movie, the other person doesn't want to see the movie. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, we don't have to, you know, we can find something else to do together or I can go see this thing that I really want to see and then you do something else and then we can, you know, come back together. It doesn't have to be this hip-by-hip um, type of dance. Yeah. Um, how long you guys been together?
1: It'll be, oh gosh, it'll be six years.
0: Wow. Right. well, kudos to him for taking you to uh you know driving you there and and still being there and uh and uh and 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 adjusting and, and learning and, and being willing to to show up for you and and you uh being willing to learn. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to share um with the shop Sunday or with the message you want to get out there or um, um.
1: Trying to think of something specific. I mean, the whole—I mean, the reason why I started Shop Sunday was mostly kind of as a way to process my own feelings and emotions, and to kind of take these kind of positive reinforcements and these quotes and these positive phrases that I would tell myself every day and turn them into um, art pieces. Which is—I've always been a really creative person, so it was kind of something natural for me to do. Um, but just seeing it kind of grow into almost a community mm. of people that kind of resonate with the work and i mean i'll get messages from people saying like thank you so much for sharing this like i needed this today yeah, yeah. and just knowing that i can obviously like make a, a decent living from doing what i love i can do what i love every single day and i can help people at the same time is incredible and the fact that i can use kind of my creative passions to spread awareness about more difficult topics like suicide. Um, but in kind of a, a more approachable way and kind of a fun way just means the world because it means that like the awareness is there and the conversation can keep, keep going.
0: Yeah. It doesn't have to be so serious. Just talk around mental health and, and even suicide. Uh, you know, I talk about it in my standup and, um, and it's tough because people think, you know, automatically because I'm a comedian that I'm, I'm trying to make fun of it.
2: Yeah. But
0: it's like, you know, we have to be able to discuss these things even in a uh, a lighthearted uh, manner. I mean, when you when you read a lot of the stories, some of it is humorous when you, you know, and, and even the, the, the thought of. You know, I think about the moments where you know that have made me call the eight hundred suicide number, and then I look back and I'm like, "What the hell was I thinking?" Like that was so, like (laughs) you know, it's so ridiculous, you know. And um, so, and like I said, not to say that it's all humorous, but I'm saying that there's there's always some humor somewhere in the in the story, and it and in order for us to get the message out there, it doesn't have to be with this heavy fist and this clinical uh yeah. you know speak
1: just make it more it makes it more accessible to people absolutely that otherwise might not be super open to talking about it yeah
0: yeah you know and and because and you, you want to get kids talking about it and yeah. you want
1: to make it you want to make it relatable
0: yeah
1: and you want to normalize discussion on mental health the same way like if someone broke their leg they broke their leg right. and it shouldn't be any different from someone that is diagnosed with depression or anxiety it's An illness. It's something that can be treated. It's not anything that people should be ashamed of. And I think mental health should be treated like any other physical illness.
0: Is there um, a way that you. Was there a way that depression and anxiety feel different to you?
1: To me, they're almost like. They're pretty opposite. Um, okay. I find they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, but one thing I learned actually in group therapy while I was in treatment was kind of the sliding scale. So they call it the window of tolerance. Okay. So your baseline is kind of where you're feeling good. You're feeling neutral. And then on either side on top and bottom, you have your window of tolerance. So if you go above your window of tolerance, then you are in the anxiety zone. And if you go, Below your window of tolerance, you kind of fall into that depression and that depressive state. So yeah. it's using those coping mechanisms to kind of find um, and stay within your window. But what I had no idea was when the therapist was talking to the group, she said, "How many of you feel anxious?" And I put my hand up. And then she said, "How many of you feel depressed?" And I also put my hand up. And I'm yeah. like, "How yeah. can I feel both of these things at the same time?" Yeah. And basically, what she explained was if you go too high above your window of tolerance and you're in the anxiety state if you get too high you can uh, it makes you drop all the way down to the bottom so you can get so anxious that your body just kind of shuts itself off and you get into that depressive state so they definitely kind of interact i had never thought of it that way
0: wow that is that that makes sense because you get so anxious you get so worked up you're like
2: your body's just kind of like okay yeah
0: right Right, you know it's it's interesting because you know when you, when I, I think back to when I was younger and you know people were like oh what'd you do and I was like I just came home and crashed and I realized crashing is not a good thing no. like like you don't want a plane to crash you don't want cars to crash
2: oh, that crash?
0: the crashing is like oh I just crashed at the end of, it's like oh that's not that's not you can't you can't do, keep doing that like that's not healthy that means you're wearing yourself out constantly. And, and eventually you're gonna burn. So that doesn't, that's not good. Um, was, there, was there anything else, any other takeaways from, because are you going to individual therapy now?
1: I'm actually not currently in therapy.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um, I have looked into it a little bit. Uh, mm. I did work with my psychiatrist outside of the hospital when I was, um, when I left the hospital and we kind of saw each other once a month or so, just to kind of follow up. And then we kind of came to a decision where it was, it was kind of good enough for me to kind of transition over just to my regular family doctor.
2: Yeah. As
1: far as medications and things. So that's kind of what I've been doing now, but it's mostly just kind of self awareness and kind of self care that has been kind of the most helpful for me at this point. Yeah. But no, obviously knowing that I have access to a therapist and that kind of treatment is obviously super helpful if I need it,
0: when I need it. You you talked about journaling before bed. Do you have, oh, that was the thing I wanted to to ask you about. Um, The journaling before bed and like your bedtime routine. Yes. Right. Because, uh, because you you mentioned early in the, in the beginning about having systems in place. Mm -hmm. Uh, So can you talk about your bedtime routine and then uh, highlight uh, what you meant by having systems in place?
1: So, I mean, for me, routine has been really helpful with managing my anxiety. I find kind of, the I mean, things happen and routines change and stuff, but having certain things in place as kind of constants, um, I find really helpful. So a bedtime routine for me would be kind of putting away the electronics about an hour before bed, kind of turning some of the lights down, um, obviously like washing up, getting some comfy clothes on, maybe doing a little bit of reading, just kind of winding down um, and finding ways to kind of relax before bed, whether that's doing a bit of meditation, doing a bit of journaling, reading a little bit, just kind of getting into that space where I can rest.
0: And then what, uh, what are the systems that you have in place? Because I, I do the same thing. Like I find that if I journal before bed um, and then also read, like TV, I used to think TV was relaxing. Like I'm gonna veg out and watch. It doesn't relax me at that's all. It's
2: just round out. Yeah. And
1: uh, they say too, with a lot of technology, like the blue light from from screens can disrupt your sleep cycle. So it's a really good thing to kind of make your bedroom kind of a tech free zone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So even charging your phone in another room of the house can be helpful. Not that's
2: why people buy an alarm clock?
1: Yes. <laughs> but then you're not then you're not tempted to roll over and scroll which I mean I'm, I still do occasionally but it's um it's kind of a good rule of thumb to get into the habit of that but as far as kind of daily routines go um I'm usually pretty good at planning some sort of exercise or that's going to the gym going for a walk throughout the day um making sure to drink enough water mm-hmm. taking little breaks for meditation if I need them um, obviously carrying my journal in my bag with me when I go out and obviously having that app right on my phone. I always have my headphones in my bag. So if I need that little break, even if I'm out in public at a coffee shop, I can pop them in and do a quick session and kind of bring myself
2: back to neutral.
0: And and for the listeners out there too, I, one of the things I do is cause sometimes I don't always have my journal with me mm. um, is I do two things. I want to keep a book in the car because I find that, When I'm waiting for something or someone, I get very anxious and reading the book kind of grounds me. Um, And the other thing I do is I'll take, I won't necessarily journal in my phone, but like the notes app in your iPhone, I will just make 10 observations, just like 10 things that I see, smell here, right now, and just to kind of center myself and ground myself. And that usually, uh, calms me down um, if I'm feeling a bit anxious. So the journaling doesn't have to be these long sentences or paragraphs. No. Sometimes you can just take notes about what you see, smell, taste, touch.
1: There's actually an app I have on my phone as well. It's called Mood Space.
0: Mood Space, okay.
1: And it's exactly that. So if I don't have my actual journal and the pen with me, they have... Um, Different segments to it. So there's a meditation segment where you can do little guided meditations. There's a thought diary where you can actually challenge your thoughts specifically. Mm-hmm. So you can go into the app and I don't know if you can see this. So you can type oh, yeah. what happened, what were your thoughts, how did this make you feel, how intense were the feelings. Wow. And make note of how you're feeling and then you can challenge those automatic thoughts. And it gives you, it's kind of like a little thought diary in a way.
0: So it, it takes the, 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 thinking out of the, you know, it's asking you the questions because yeah. that's the hardest part is like, what do I journal? What, what am I, where do I start? And that's giving you kind of a framework.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's amazing to have on hand.
0: Uh, I love that. Are there any other apps that you use mm-hmm. uh, in the mental health space?
1: I think, I think those two okay. are my kind of go-tos, a so simple habit for the meditation and then mood space for kind of the thought journaling.
0: And you, and you talked about, like, you, you like to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there is there something you're reading now, something you've read that uh, was very powerful or resonated with you?
1: There was one book. Let me just see if I can find it again. It's, um, it's called First We Make the Beast Beautiful.
0: Oh, I like the title
1: hmm So that is by, so it's Centres Around Anxiety. So it's by Sarah Wilson. It's a kind of an autobiography. And I actually read that while I was in treatment. So it was a book that I had with me while I was in the hospital. Mm. And it was just so amazing because it takes it, she really goes into a deep dive of her own experience with anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, It's just, it was such a relatable thing, kind of going through the similar feelings and feeling that kind of relatability to the way she tells her own story. And she kind of does it, again, in kind of a lighthearted, a little bit humorous way.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: it makes it a little more comfortable. And yeah, it's an amazing book. I would definitely recommend it.
0: Fantastic. First, you make The Beast beautiful. Uh, I will list that in the the apps that Haley's mentioned in the uh, show notes. Haley, is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything we didn't talk about? Anything? Where can people find you? Talked about your community uh, <laughs> yeah. at shop Sunday. Is there a name for your tribe of of shop Sunday people? Or
2: no, no specific names.
0: Okay.
1: You have any ideas?
0: <laughs> uh, I I'm I'm not good with. Now, I have a buddy going on a comedy tour and, and I, he was like, what should I name? I was like, I, don't, I just sent them like the worst, uh, <laughs> names. Uh, but, uh, but you know, what usually happens is it happens organically yeah. At some point, you know, somebody posts a comment or or you say something off the cuff or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're off and running.
2: And, yeah.
0: uh, and those are, those, those are the best ways to, to figure out the name. Right. Um, is it, uh, so is is there like a Facebook community? Is it uh, just through Instagram or what?
1: Just through Instagram, actually. Okay. So that's kind of where I started, and that's kind of where, I mean, I post almost all of my personal work there. Okay. So that would kind of be the best place to kind of reach out. And of course, like my DMs are always open for anyone kind of having any, have any questions or looking for a little extra support. Obviously, I'm not a licensed therapist, but – I'm always willing to be an open ear for people if they need it. And yeah, you can check out my Etsy shop. If you need a little uplifting artwork in your life, I have some prints on there. And then of course I am open for freelance work. So I've done kind of a little bit of everything for people, Um, kind of some branding work, graphic design work, and I'm just kind of always open to fun new projects. And of course people with like-minded, um, Ideas and brands centered around wellness and self-care are really big um, important things for me so that's always fun
0: I love it I love it and you, so you, do you you have a website or just the Instagram
1: I do have a website so it's uh, sundaystudios.ca
0: okay and I'll, I'll link that um, also Sunday Studios oh I like that yeah. love it love it. Um, now, I always ask this, and like you said, you're not a licensed therapist, no. um, and um, but I ask this of everybody who joins in, uh, I always just feel like there's someone listening who's on a precipice of completing suicide. Yeah. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person?
1: Before you kill yourself, I would say to try and look a little bit deeper inward. Um, I feel like within all of us, underneath all those negative feelings and those really heavy emotions, there's always that little part of you that wants to live, that wants to thrive, um, that wants to live. So really try and dig deep and look for that little light, that little glimmer of something special um, because things do get better even if they don't seem like they will right now, it's um, it's a process and it's hard, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you will get there. I got there, um, but yeah, just always look, always look for the good things, especially within yourself.
0: We forget the good things in ourselves, uh, Haley. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank everyone uh, who listened. Remember that this podcast is not a substitute for you calling that 1 800 S U I C I D E number. Um, It's not a substitute for admitting yourself into treatment, for talking to a therapist, for you using an app. There's uh, BetterHelp. There's so many, uh, you can text. There's so many anonymous ways for you to. To reach out and get help in online services, and uh, your story deserves to be heard and wants to be heard, and uh, you're not alone. As as we've shared uh, throughout this episode, Haley Kennedy, thank you.
2: Thank you so much.
0: So much. This was great. Uh, thank you, listeners, for listening in, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.